Hello, and welcome to the Mercy and Grace Ministries podcast. This is a show for those who desire to be ignited in their faith through the trials of life. We will inspire you with powerful, life-transforming stories, energize you with biblical truths, and give you the tools to connect into what God has for you. Join us in this journey as we think as we laugh, and as we grow in a deeper relationship with Christ together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mercy and Grace podcast, episode number three. This is our first interview with our good friend Tyrone Allen. Tyrone is an ex-inmate from San Quentin State Prison, And that's obviously not what defines him, but that is his story. So we're going to hear from Tyrone today. In the studio is Tyrone Allen. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Are you excited to be here? I am. I really am. I really, really am. I'm excited to have you, bro. I'm really excited you're here. And, 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 you know, we met Tyrone in San Quentin State Prison. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were we were all doing ministry together. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny how uh, us as prison ministry people, so often people have a perception like we're going in and and we're just bringing the word and we're rescuing all these souls. And the reality that there is some of that. Mm-hmm. There is definitely where there's a new Christian that comes into the church, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we're dealing with very mature Christians behind Absolutely. prison walls. Absolutely. And, and Tyrone is one of those mature Christians. So we're just so blessed to run across brothers like Tyrone, who's just uh, serving the Lord behind prison walls. And we won't go too far ahead into, into the story. Mm-hmm. It's cool to see how people like Tyrone come alongside other people behind prison walls, too. Yeah. And we can be a part of their journey as well. Absolutely. Awesome stuff, man. I have to ask you. Okay. I have to ask you. You ready? Yes. So how does one get such a cool nickname like T-Bone behind prison walls? Wow. I got to tell you, when when you're locked up, you really want to eat some good food. (laughs) And so that might have been my wish list for a long time. A T-bone steak. A T-bone steak. (laughs) Well, the the truth is, is that um, I never nicknamed myself. The guys did. Right. And it's usually based on some characteristic or skill that you have. And while I was incarcerated and I first came to prison in the 80s, I learned how to make weaponry real quick, and that one—that's one of the names that they called knives, T-bones, oh, or a bone, T-bone. or a bone okay. crusher, a bone was, crusher. Yeah. and so that—that that became a handle that it was hard for me to shake for many years. Yeah, the bone crusher. The bone crusher. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that just took on a whole new meaning. Yeah. I was kind of digging the steak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The steak nickname, but now you just brought it to a whole new level. Well, I got to tell you, my 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 dream was to have a, a T-bone steak, a tossed salad, uh, a baked potato, a strawberry soda with crushed ice. Yeah. And when you got out, did you did you fulfill your? I had to your, have it. I had to you have had it. to have, had it. To have All it. it. All right, good man. That's it. awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I didn't have such a cool nickname growing up. In fact, back on the streets of Hardcore Pleasanton, California, mm. pretty hardcore out yeah. there. I don't know if you've been on the east side of Pleasanton, but it's rough. Boy. It's rough over there. And my nickname, they used to call me E-Money, but the funny thing about that is I never had any money. Wow. I know. I know. So I really I can't claim that fame. What? About, where did you grow up? I grew up in Pleasanton, and where did you grow up? And So I grew up in the Bay Area as well. Um, 
I was born in San Francisco, and so my early childhood was in San Francisco, California, and also Oakland. So we would kind of bounce back and forth over the bridge, and, and so that's pretty much where I grew up, the Bay Area. San Francisco, <laughs> Oakland, Pleasant Hill. What did you like better? Did you like San Francisco better, or did you like Oakland better? It depends on... on what it is that I'm looking for. If I want uh, to, to get involved in a lot of things and make money, San Francisco was the place. Okay. If I wanted to get in big trouble, Oakland was the place. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you could yeah. you, you could uh, have your delights in both yeah. places. For yeah. sure, ma'am. Well, good. So, uh, and what was life like growing up in, in San Francisco and Oakland? Well, I got to tell you, I, uh, I grew up with a, a mother and a stepfather. And for the first eight years of my life, I believed him to be my father. Yeah. Um, and my mother uh, changed religions from Christian to becoming a black Muslim. Okay. So the change and the transformation and the restrictions was a challenge for yeah. me to make that adjustment. And so uh, as a result of it, I suffered a lot of physical abuse uh, by my stepfather and some by my mom. And uh, around eight, nine years old is when my dad came into my yeah. life. And uh, he pulled me out of that abusive situation, my brother and I. And so we moved in with him. It went through a court process. <laughs> okay. Uh, from the physical abuse, we were put in juvenile custody. And he came and uh, the judge get, released us to him. And um, it was the first time I had experienced Christmas. And all the gifts, the bikes, the first time toys and these type of things was new to me. Uh, and I didn't understand the reason for the season, yeah. but I knew I liked it. Yeah. So uh, when I stayed with my dad, life changed. Life really changed. changed. In, in a positive way, it sounds right. like. It did. It yeah. really did. He put us in a nice home. He took us and moved us into the suburbs of Pleasant Hill. Very good. And uh, we went to some really good schools and had a lot of advantages that most children didn't have. But uh, somewhere around 12 years old, I began to show signs that I was damaged goods. So I had a lot of mental health issues as a result of some of the things that happened to me when I was younger. So, but, but like basically when you're born to eight years old, there was some, there was some trauma that took place right, in there. Right, A lot of physical abuse, being actually traumatized on a daily basis. And this he, is your stepfather who right, is- and my, and my mom. Inflicting yeah, the damage, yeah. wow. So um, um, the, the diet changed. Yeah. You couldn't eat certain foods. Um, I couldn't associate with- white people. And so going to school on a normal day, daily, I'm, I'm having a lot of friends. Now I'm being told I can't talk to them. Yeah. You know? And so whenever I break those rules, I, I suffered constantly. Yeah. That was a challenge. Man. It was, and a, challenge. It was a lot easier for my other brothers and yeah. sisters because they were born into it. I wasn't. And how do you, how do you feel like that life, that time in your life, how did that impact your relationships or or even the way you looked at race because now you're in prison and you're dealing with some of these things and we'll talk about some mm -hmm. of that prison experience but yeah. how did that deal you know how did that childhood carry forward into your thinking as an adult well it uh it impacted me to the point where i was always rebellious and so i never went with the with the status quo right it was against it as i got older life got to be challenging in that uh I'm surrounded by people who influence me with my culture, right? And and um, and so it changed, but for the better. And that's good. And and did your dad try to unpack some of that for you? Did he kind of walk you through some of those issues you were having as a kid? And well, he he went as far as getting psychiatrists and psychologists yeah. and therapists. They couldn't figure it out. Yeah, they couldn't figure it out. And and so uh, as a result, I started running away from home. 
between 12 and 13 years of age, I just did a lot of running away. And finally, my dad just came and got me one day. And he said, from my grandmother's house. And he says, I'm going to take you somewhere because I, I got a family to raise. And, I'm, and I got a business to right. run. And I can't keep looking for you. So he took me up to Eureka. And he left me with a guy named Jim Jones. And so I stayed up there, I believe, about maybe five or six months. Yeah. I can't recall exactly. But I do recall still having that runaway spirit and hitchhiking with some hippies out of, out of Eureka back to San Francisco. <laughs> Goodness. An old van with some flowers painted wow. on the side. Wow, yeah. I just can't picture yeah. that, but yeah. amen, brother. That's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. Well, uh, you know, I, I hear about uh, the this term called ACEs. Have you heard of the term ACEs? Uh, uh, it, it's adverse childhood experiences. Okay. And the more ACEs that you have, and there's a list of, I, I'm not sure exactly how many, but mm-hmm. the more you have of these adverse childhood experiences, the more apt you are to be an addict, uh, to have come, you know, mm-hmm. from even coming from a broken home, but the propensity to even go into prison goes much higher with right. these aces. Right. So may, you know, the understanding that from a youth perspective, the, those things as a youth impacts your yeah. life all the way throughout. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, it's, it's very interesting to see that, that, that certainly was something that you had to deal with growing up is, yeah. is a lot of these adverse experiences that mm-hmm. ultimately we don't realize it but they actually go throughout your whole life yeah. and affect every area of, mm-hmm. of your life when they're undealt with yeah so i gotta say um he did the best that he could with what right. he had right. um, in trying to help me it just didn't happen so life changed as i get older and, and started getting in trouble more were there any religious influences in your life during your childhood at all well i gotta say from the nation of islam yeah christianity and Jim Jones' experience, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I gotcha. So it gave you a bad taste in your bad, mouth. I didn't believe it. it gotcha. It, everything that came along with religion had problems with it. And, and it, 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 yeah, it just, it didn't work. It didn't work for it you. It didn't work for At me. that time in At your that life. Time. And so I didn't understand what was the purpose. What okay. was the reason when all this was happening to me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you were in the pain and you just can't, sometimes you can't see in right. the pain and, and wonder, you know, well, you're in the pain. So mm-hmm. it's hard to say, I want to go claim this thing mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, many people are telling you different even things about religion. Mm-hmm. Your mom is a, is a Muslim and she's telling you one thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's other influences in your life during that time that oh, were yeah. telling you other yes, things. Yes, So peers had a lot to say about religion, especially coming from a black community. One of the biggest fears that, that black men have, and the biggest threat to a black man at that time uh, that I always heard, was that he'll steal, a preacher will steal your wife and take your money. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So don't go to church. That's, yeah, yeah, that's that's but, not a good name no, there. No, no. 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 So, <clears throat> so that was my, my take on religion at that time. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, there's one question that I never ask mm-hmm. any inmate and, and even an ex-inmate, but I, I'm going to ask you. So are you ready for I'm the ready. question? Come on with it. Uh, bring, bring it. So, so how does one, uh, particularly you, end up in San Quentin State wow. Prison, man? Wow. It took a lot of work. I tell you. <laughs> I'm was, sure you worked hard it, to, yeah, to make that happen. It took a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> I tell you rebelling against the system yep. because my mindset was that I I was the system what I call the system the politics the economics the demographics the e- economical structure in the community that I live was against me and so I had to I believe that doing things for myself illegally was okay um, so I, I started committing a lot of crimes I started breaking the law as a result of 
an alcohol and drug addiction. And so the first time I came, well not drug, the first time I went to prison, it was a voluntary manslaughter from a heated argument that I had with a neighbor. It, it, it resulted in a life being lost, uh, taken. And I believed that the system at that time was, was not a, for me. So it, it was a just, I believe it was a justifiable homicide and, and I didn't have the means to hire an attorney to defend myself correctly. And I ended up in, inside San Quentin for yeah. the very first time. So so when you say a justifiable homicide, you mean that you were trying to protect yourself my from home. someone who and was attacking right. you. So and involuntary manslaughter wasn't like you were going after no, this guy. No. You were attacked and you were def- and through you the defending yourself. Yeah. It was three or four. It was four of them actually. Oh and my goodness. Brothers. They came to my house and, and tried to kick the door in. And one of them ultimately died as a result of it. But um, how did how did you end up in prison for that specifically? Well, Is there laws in California that were well, a lot stricter? Well, you got to keep in, in mind in the eighties when this happened in nineteen eighty four. I lived in East Oakland. It okay. was the height of the drug wars at that okay. particular time, and the projects that I grew up in were the were the central area, 69th Village. As it so was you're called. just guilty before even yeah, being proven innocent, yeah. right? And I had a public defender who was fresh out of Hastings, and it was his first case, and he couldn't try a murder charge. Yeah. So he suggested that we take a plea bargain and get out of here. He's currently a professor at Harvard right now. Wow. I wish he was back then. So yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that was my intro- introduction into San Quentin. The first time. The first time. The first time. The first time. You're in San Quentin now. I, I know there's. We're gonna we're gonna step from the the beginning time in San Quentin, and we can talk about those experiences too. But you got out for a very short period of time, and you weren't done yet, right? No, I wasn't. You weren't wasn't. done yet. I wasn't. So talk through kind of that process. You get out, you're excited. How long did you serve on that sentence? Uh, seven years. So you served seven years mm-hmm. in San Quentin mm-hmm. State Prison, mm-hmm. and then you get out, and you're like, I'm not done. Like, I still got to run in me, oh, right? Yeah. At that age that I came inside of prison, it I began the first time. Yeah. I allowed the prison to mold me and to shape my thinking. Right. My value system became that of a convict. And so I believed and bought into the values of a convict. And so because I walked out of prison, I still was in prison. I was still in prison. The release date was only something for a, a temporary visit with my family so I can come back. I was thinking like a convict, acting like a convict. And where do convicts live? So it Locked take, up. They live t- locked up. It didn't take long for me to get back. In mind, heart, and soul, mm-hmm. they're just locked up. Yeah. So it was what I call the beginning stages of institutionalization. Right. Yeah. And uh, I had already bought into it perhaps when I was much younger, and now I'm buying into it as an older an adult. And there's no church in your life at all during this time. No. Yeah, no, there's no church no, at all. No. And and certainly not church behind prison walls. No. You no. had your own church going on yeah, in a different way. Yeah. And what was life like in San Quentin State Prison, living in San Quentin? In the early 80s, it was really hostile. It was very violent. It was very... It was it was actually scary, but I couldn't let it be seen. It was a lot of violence there. Yeah. So uh, uh, it wasn't until somewhere around in the 90s that it started to begin to, to loosen up and to change a bit. But those first years, I saw a lot of violence. I, I participated. In I was going to ask you that. Were you on the offensive or were you on the defensive of that violence? Well, when I first got there, I was on the defense. Right. But I quickly aligned myself with a group of people and became on the offense because I understood that's the way to survive and make it out of there. Oh, I could only imagine. Yeah. And and so you have this this influence and talk talk through kind of that influence, that gang influence because I know yeah. it's it's huge, right? 
you know, a person that comes off the street who doesn't have any affiliations, never been in a gang, now all of a sudden they're faced with this, mm-hmm. this, hey, either I click up or I'm going to get hurt. So mm-hmm. talk through your experiences. And that's not in everywhere, all prisons. Right, right. But there is a, a definitely a gang infiltration. Mm-hmm. Talk through your experiences in that. So for me, my belief system had already been molded. In, in that this was an era when you had the Nation of Islam, you had the Black Panther organization in Oakland, heavily influencing black minds. Very little of the, the Martin Luther King type of, of teachings. So when I came to prison, I was already, uh, let's say, ready to receive scientific socialism and democratic centralism. And, and, uh, Explain ex- what exactly so those these terms are, mean. These are revolutionary dialectics. Okay. Are, and, and so there was a group of blacks inside of prison who, who, who had these principles, and they walked by them. They breathed them. They acted on them. The system was against us, but let me show you how to break out of it, how to change it for our people. Right. And um, I bought into it. I bought into it heavily. So this was a type of organization, as we called it back then, that choose you. You don't choose it. For about the first two years of my prison experience, I was being prepped. Indoctrinated. Indoctrinated, yeah. Indoctrinated. Gradually and incrementally, yeah. So uh, the guys that would move in the cell with me, they were teachers. The guys on the yard, they were they showed, gave me experience. Yeah. So, so, so they're really think, teaching you a philosophy, a, a, a way of uh, life for them that became a way of life. And it really spawned out of... That what did what what did that whole movement spawn out of on the streets? Because it obviously got into prison. Inf- well, it never really spawned from the streets. It spawned from within the prison system. Okay. Um, so there was a time in Soledad in the, in the early seventies where where some black men were constantly being attacked by by the correction officers, and uh, they decided to fight back. And so uh, as a result of it, some correction officers were either, were killed. So they moved them to San Quentin and to other prisons, and that's where the birth of the Black Gorilla family ensued, from San Quentin, right there. And the ideology, the teachings, uh, the struggle was an offshoot of the Black Panther Party. Um, So you had some Black Panther members that were there that were part of the struggle. And it was a plight against the system. It, It really was. So when you see guys that were in prison back then who had won the life, doing a life sentence for a crime that was probably worth a year or two, they begin to start getting bitter. The system. And it it spawns out of the civil rights movement as as the Black Panthers Mm -hmm. and that whole movement Mm -hmm. moves into prison, obviously, and then they're just influencing people and you're getting connected to this ideology and it becomes somewhat of a lifestyle, right? Yes, it became the lifestyle. It became the lifestyle. And now you're out out there. Are you going out and and recruiting other members or is that how it works for for the BGF? Yeah, so for me, I never did. Other people did, and they did it on mass scales oftentimes and sometimes not. This group was considered the chosen few, so not everybody could be. Got it. And, and we had to decide if a person had the characteristics and the talent for being a part of this organization. If not, we can find something else for you. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Interesting, man. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I know there's just some crazy stories. Let me ask you just one question before we get to a, to a, a crazy San Quentin mm-hmm. story, because I know the audience mm-hmm. is, is, you know, they want to hear some things like what, what goes on behind prison walls. Mm-hmm. Not too crazy, but you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, but uh, ultimately, uh, what... As far as the gang, do you have to join a gang if someone goes to prison? Do they have to join? No, a gang? they don't. They don't. Uh, in in the eighties, people did it more often yeah. than they do now. 
Okay. Uh, uh, there, it was for your own protection because it was so much violence inside right. of prisons. As today's time, it is 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 not so. Okay. It's not so. In fact, if you're identified as a gang member, you may be in big trouble. Yeah, because they're just gonna lock you down. Absolutely, yeah. they're gonna lock you down. They're gonna they're gonna have your name, and it's not a good place to be. So for yeah. sure. And, I, and that we see that all the time. Yeah. I mean, if people get validated, mm-hmm. and validated means that you are you are validated as an active gang member. Mm-hmm. And typically, there's active yards, and then there's what are called special needs yards. Mm-hmm. Just for our audience to know, active yards are where active gang members are, mm-hmm. uh, and those who do do not drop out of the gangs. If they drop out of a gang, they go on to a special needs yard, mm-hmm. an SNY yard, or another name for it is protective custody. And so, just so you know, there's people that are in protective custody. It's ex-gang members, child molesters, rapists, mm-hmm. and and the like mm-hmm. that go into these SNY yards, and they're all lumped together. Yeah. But actually, CDCR, uh, the governing body of, of the prison system, is actually going to be mixing. What do you think about that? Mixing active gang, active people that came from active yards and special needs yards mm-hmm. into one. The years that I've been in the system... I often seen a lot of things being tried. Right. And I already believe that the the CDCR already know what the end result is going to be before they do it. Yeah. They've, they've had a lot of years of experience doing right. it. So when you want to create something in order to keep job security, you do those things. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because they are trying to make more program yards for some of these special needs mm-hmm. to integrate with the active. So the active, you know... It, I shouldn't even say ex-gang member, but a, a gang member who's had a history who's trying to do the right thing gets moved to this SNY yard to get programmed. And that's really the drive behind this is for programming. Yeah. And but so, there could be problems. Yeah. So it, it would be so much simpler to, to put programs on those yards. Yeah. It really would. That's um, a good point. It'd be so much easier. I, I, I couldn't imagine a guy who dropped out of a gang, he's on a yard with a gang, yeah, the gets, gang that, that wants, wants to get, get him. him. Yeah, and and so I'm gonna be calm enough to go to a class with you and yeah. sit down and and do a an, an assignment. I don't yeah. think so. It's not gonna. No, they'll be looking for an opportunity with that to use that T bone that you you're talking about. <laughs> the bone crusher. <laughs> the bone yeah. crusher. I, I just don't see it working. It may work. I just don't see how it could. Um, it, it, and it, you're putting people in a hostile in a dangerous situation. Right. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but scary stuff, man. But they know that already. Oh yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so speaking of stories, talk. Tell me a, a, just a crazy story about San Quentin that you want to share with the audience. Hmm. I don't know any crazy stories about San Quentin other than it was all just crazy. In, yeah, in essence, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, Everything yeah. was crazy. I, I, I think my first experience when I got there that really, really set me on edge is there was a riot when I first got to San okay. Quentin, and and I was standing in the rotunda or on the ground, prone. Mm. And seeing an inmate coming on a gurney with a welding rod coming through his neck, oh, oh. and seeing the color on his face change, and, and it, it just it was it was a shocker. While I may have seen people who had passed away before, but I hadn't seen anybody who actually got killed and was dead right in front of me. And and it, and it did it happened more than once. So it's a being scarred and singed with death, and being around it all the time can change the way you feel. Do you become numb to you it? You do. You have to. Yeah. You have to. Many people say, I could never do a day in prison. I say, if you did, you change. Yeah, that's a make, good point. So that it you hardens can, you. So that you can survive it. You have to. You have to. 
I, I got goldfish. They'll survive in a toilet if I put them in there. <laughs> no, unless you yeah. flush. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you have right. to change your inner thinking, your right. inner feelings to, in order to adapt to what's going on here because it's not normal. But the question is, do you change to the environment or does the environment change you? Hmm. Right? I mean, yeah. it, which way does that work? It I goes mean, both. It goes, it goes both, both ways. Yeah. yeah, I think there's probably a little give and take there, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, as far as meeting at uh, San Quentin, mm-hmm. we met in this place called the the Garden Chapel. Yeah. Oh, I love oh, yeah. the Garden Chapel. San Quentin Garden Chapel. And so the San Quentin Gar- Garden Chapel, just so you know, there's a thriving Christian and many other uh, community, religious communities that, that are in San Quentin. As you can well imagine, it's a it's a very large community within yes, itself. It is. It is. And so I just wanted to give a quick flyover. So San Quentin has a Protestant church, has a Catholic church. We were under the Protestant umbrella. Mm-hmm. And what that means is we have a Protestant chaplain, right? Yes. Chaplain Marty Ralph Jackson yes. at the time. yes. Or she is still the acting chaplain uh, as of today there. Wonderful woman of God, isn't yeah. she? Yes, she is. Just a praying, a praying woman. woman. Oh, she praise God. She prays. Yes, praise God yeah. for, for uh, Chaplain Jackson. You have about, I don't know, maybe 200 inmates in those services. There's a lot of people in those mm-hmm. services. So if you think about it, any church that you would go into, uh, 200 people, they have Bible studies going on, yard evangelism. Yes. Weekend weekday Bible studies, yeah. weekend services, multiple services, yes. right? Mm-hmm. All those things, oh. and what else? I mean, as far as internal well, leadership, wow, internal leadership is is probably the solidest I've ever seen, be it in prison or out in society. Right? Um, God has really come into that place, taught, anointed, and given these guys good instruction yeah. on how to become leaders inside of God's ministry. And so they're really, really, really good. Not only do you have the ministry there, but you also have Patton Bible University. And that's where I got my uh, certificate in theology there. So you have a lot of host of teachings. Many pastors come in and teach classes. Right. Um, this, this place is unique. It's a flagstaff, I would say, of all the prisons and prison ministry. It really ministry. is. So you have churches coming from all over the country there. And doing services there. Yep. So it gives a lot of guys exposure to different types of ministries. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is amazing. I mean, there's, there's I don't know, like 2,000 volunteers that volunteer at San right. Quentin. It is one of the most programmed facilities. In mm-hmm. fact, a lot of other tr- facilities are looking to mimic what San Quentin is doing. Absolutely. And so there's a lot of programs, a lot of opportunities, a lot of ways to for for men who want to change their lives, get programmed from schooling to even coding they're teaching now. They have a right. coding class. Yeah. In fact, there's been yeah. a organization the last mile that is actually launched into other prison facilities and they're actually teaching women they're teaching men to code mm-hmm. and they're actually having people from the outside companies from the outside hiring them right. to code so amazing things going on behind prison walls the the church is very vibrant very strong uh inmate preachers the choir mm. san quentin choir wow so tell me about that san so quentin let, choir. Let me, let me just say this i uh when I came to San Quentin and started getting involved in the ministry at the church there, I started off operating the television camera. And we videotaped the services so that men on death row could mm. watch the service because they can't go to church. Somewhere around the second year, the sound man is getting ready to go home. And he asked me to start training to do the sound system. And I told him I didn't want to. And so the pastor, Chaplain Earl Smith, he decided to take the camera. <laughs> 
He says, you're going to learn. So I said, all right, here I go. Show me. And he taught me how to do the sound. I got the nickname Captain Feedback real quick. <laughs> but I got to tell you, it gave me an experience that I never, ever had before because now I'm looking from the back. Oh, I'm wow. also getting a chance to be at all the rehearsals and all the, the events that are going on there. The San Quentin Mass Choir is probably one of the best choirs i ever seen. It's filled with nothing but men, number yep. one. And these guys are really sold out for Jesus. It's it, it it's a lifestyle that is viewed by other inmates because we sleep together, we live together. Anybody that came into to our church from outside, we didn't know what they did when they left. Yep. But I know what you do every day. Oh yeah. I sleep a in the same. Absolutely. Day. So you know they're living and they're walking and breathing the word of God. And a so the choir uh, in 1991, we made an album called "He's All I Need," and it got a lot of attention. And so it, and not only were the inmates, but there were staff as well as, as sung in the album. Um, so cool. So I got so to, cool. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. We had a lot of uh, different groups, the quartet that was there, uh, there, and other miniature versions of the choir that's still there. Yeah, and yeah. they're just so Praise powerful. worship teams. Yeah. Well, not only that, but you have 200 men singing along with the choir. It yeah. was just a really powerful experience in worship there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, just a, such a blessing to be a part of that church yeah. in, in San Quentin. We're going to move on, and, uh, you know, how, how did you move from this, this gang-banging mindset into attending church to even work that camera? Like, how did that, how did that process happen? What did that look like for you in Behind Prison Walls? I, I was heavily influenced, uh, I believe, by another inmate, and he, he was an example that you can change. Not so much what he used to say, but actually visualizing what he did. Right. Um, I lived in H unit, which is outside the walls of San Quentin in the 80s and uh, the late 80s. Well, the mid 80s. And there was a, an inmate there by the name of Al. And uh, he, um, he he had changed his, accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior from Christ the gangster to Jesus. <laughs> um, and so the, the saying is, is that most people that are incarcerated that accept Christ, it's just temporary. You're just doing it while you're in prison. And once you get out, you'll go back to your old lifestyle. Yeah. But this gentleman, he left and he did come back, but he came through the front door. Oh, yeah. Such a great place yes, to go through. Yes. yes. His name is Al Featherstone. And he, he came in and he preached the word of God. And I got to tell you, you said 200 in San Quentin. There was about 365. It was standing room only. Every time he gave a revival there, it was packed. It was packed out. Because he was a living example yeah. of what God can do in a person's life. Oh. When I saw that he could do it for him, I knew he could do it for me. Um, so good, man. Yeah. So good. I mean, yeah. it just gives you this, this future hope of, man, look at this brother. I was in with him. And yeah. look, now yeah. he is preaching the gospel. And he's a pastor in Oakland, right? Yeah. He has a church in yes, Oakland, yeah. Pastor Featherstone. And and just an amazing story. So how did he help you? And You told me the story about sitting there and you were just at your ropes mm. end broken. Oh, yeah. And what happened in that yeah. story? So in 1995, I got arrested for a series of crimes. That, uh, That's shocking. That's shocking to me. <laughs> <laughs> they were really horrible. I kidnapped, carjacked, oh, robbery, home invasion, wow. robbery, robbing a drug house. And, and I did some really crazy things trying to get away from the scene of the crime that induced a lot more crimes. Um, and so the judge, he let me have it. The jury, they get let me have it. So I was sentenced to 19 years and four months at 85%. And this is your second term at San Quentin. Yeah, second term. And my wife had told me, she says, if you go back, we're leaving. Mm-hmm. And so 
I never really believed it until she till it happened. And so I found myself in the reception center uh, in the level four part of the, the prison reception right. center, C-section, cell 1C49. I never will forget it. And it's somewhere around the fifth month of getting letters with the finger back and nobody answering my phone calls and not having any money to take care of myself, I became depressed, really depressed. And I, I really contemplated suicide. This particular evening, when I said I was going to do this, my wife left me. She moved from San Francisco to Atlanta, Georgia, with no forwarding address. I haven't heard from my children. And I'm using soap for deodorant. And I'm brushing my teeth with tooth powder. And I'm just, I'm done. I'm tired. That's it. I can't do 19 years in prison. I remember with a mirror looking out of my bars. And I saw somebody walking toward my cell, at least uh, 50 yards away. And as they were coming... I noticed this is a dark figure with a dark outfit on, and I don't know who is this guy, because he's not—he's not wearing blue. And as he got closer and closer, I noticed the beaver hat, and I noticed the camel hair jacket, and I noticed the black slacks and the lift and the loafers. I said, "That looks like Al Featherstone." And he came over to my cell, and I never—I remember looking at him, and I'm saying, "Al," he says, "How you doing, Tyrone?" I said, "I'm not doing well." He says, "I know. What's going on?" And I told him, he said, I already know. He already knew because he knew my wife. Yeah. And he had met her from church's experiences she had. And so um, I told him, I said, he said, I said, I can't do it. He took his coat off and he sat down on the concrete. He said, let's have a seat, man. He sat down in that dirty floor with those nice threads on. And he said, talk to me. And he started sharing the word of God with me. Wow. And he started ministering to me. Powerful. He started letting me know the, the, the Nehemiah. He and Hezekiah, and he started sharing all those Old Testament stories. And he said, how do you know God won't add another 15 years to your life? Yeah. If you take it out now, you'll never know the blessing. When he left there, that, that when he walked away from my cell, I, I wanted to reach through those bars and hug this dude. Yeah. But we couldn't physically touch in that way. We could shake hands, and that was my hug. And he walked away. And when he walked away from that cell, I knew that I was going to be able to make it. Mm. Powerful. Now, now I had to change for me and not for a wife, not for a children, not for any family member. Now I need God to be with me. He's going to buy my deodorant now. So He's going to buy my toothpaste now. I don't so need powerful. A, that's my canteen, man. Hey, yeah, so that, it's that's, awesome, yeah. man. And, and you see you see the influence of someone coming in and being a part of your life. And, and there was many groups. I mean, Al was like the, the he was the, the, the forming foundation for you to get plugged in. And so often there's so many groups that come in and come alongside and, and do ministry with you. Talk about like, you know, groups like Mercy and Grace mm -hmm. Ministries for one. Yeah. And uh, obviously we go into many prisons. San Quentin was one of them. Like, what does that mean to you? Or well, how does, how does, how did that help you as an inmate for groups like Mercy and Grace going in? Let, let me say this here. Men identify with people who look just like us. Yeah. When I say look like us, not color, not shape, not but been where we've been, yep. who suffered the same plight that we suffered yep. and overcame it. How did you do it? Yeah. That's why I want to hear from you. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. So that so, gave you that gave you that what you needed to hear, man. There's yeah, hope, right? Yeah, Just this hope, hope to hold on yeah, to. Yeah. So when Mercy and Grace, you and Chris, you guys come in, you give us that. Fed it to us. You gave it to us. We look forward to it. I'll be honest with you. So down in H unit, this last five years now. Absolutely. Um, I got an opportunity because I'm doing the praise and worship down there and I'm setting up the sound and I can't wait. Every time you guys come, 
You yeah. had to set this place up and and get it ready and and hustle some bodies. Get in here, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. No, and I remember. Let me tell you the story about these guys. He gonna come tell you. Just and so the story, the bait was you've been where we've been, and people want to hear. And when they want to, when they come to hear, they get the word. Oh, and they you guys would it. pack that church yeah. out, and yeah. it was such a blessing. And I, yeah. you know, I remember, I remember. When you got out of prison, right? Mm-hmm. So I came into H Unit one day, and I'm looking for you because you're oh, like my God. go-to guy, yeah. and you're yeah. my go-to guy is gone. Yeah. He's, he is completely out of the picture. Wow. And I said, "Where's Tyrone?" And they said, "Tyrone went home." Mm. They said the the words, "Tyrone went home." Wow. And, and you know, it's interesting. You should say that when they said Tyrone, they didn't say T Bone. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So we buried T-Bone in San Quentin. Oh, man, the T-Bone steak, steak is buried. The T-Bone steak is buried. We buried him. In Christ, I had to move forward yeah. in the realness of who God created me to be. Oh, that's so yeah. good. It's like so, a baptism, yeah, you know, where you yeah. just raise from the water and the yeah. old man falls yeah. away and you're born into this gone. new life. And so uh, um, I got to tell you, I prayed a prayer while yeah. I was in San Quentin this time. And I said, God, release me when I'm ready. Release me when I'm ready. When you have me ready, then release me. Until then, don't. Yeah. Do what you got to do. And so it was in 2012, my grandchildren came to visit me for the first time. Um, my daughter-in-law, she told me, she says, the only reason why we're here is because these children want an active role in your life. But if I think you're going to do them like you did their dad, yeah. I'm not bringing them back anymore. Right. When I walked out of that visiting room, I said, God, that's it. I'm ready for this change. Yep. What, do you, what do I need to do? Show me which way to go. And so he did. He really did. He and so I followed the script. Um, they came out with a, a a realignment in 2015 for two strike nonviolent offender, and I was the first one in San Quentin to get released. There were a couple other guys who went before me who didn't get it, um, and so I just prayed. I prayed and I asked God. I said, "I what do I need to do?" Yeah. And so He opened up a door for me here in Fresno with a drug program or a pastor to come stay with. And so when I went into the hearing, they went through my paperwork and saw some of the accomplishments that I acquired while I was inside Quentin this last time and decided to let me be the first one out. I didn't know. Yeah. They didn't tell me. Right. All of a sudden, one day. Boom. boom you're gone. You're, you're gone. out the door. I'm out of there. Pick up your stuff. <laughs> Only Jesus. Gone. Oh, Only yeah, God. man. He wow. set you free. Set he will free. set you free. So uh, I was released two years prior to my release. Wow, day. that's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Just such an amazing yeah. story. And yeah. and I know you got integrated uh, into, into you know, this program and things were going well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know that that you've you've had your challenges since you've been mm-hmm. home, mm-hmm. of course, but God is blessing you. And I, I just want you to unpack a couple things of, that have happened since you've been out. Like, what were some of the rough times that you went through? I know you went through the program and stuff and, and, and God worked mighty things in there. But what were some rough things you've dealt with? Out here? Yeah, out here. Oh, well... In the beginning, one of the biggest challenges that I had, and I, and I kept asking everyone that wanted to help me, what do you need? And I kept telling social skills. Yeah. I need social skills. I need to learn how to communicate, interact with people that are common people here in society. I've been so used to dealing with convicts and that mentality and that type of conversation. It just didn't work anymore. So if I want to work out here and I want to become a part of, I have to be able to learn. And so many people tag team and share with me uh, in the ministries, yeah. of course. The biggest, one of the biggest challenges, I, I stayed in a, in a sober living home for about a year. And, right, and I was able to save a lot, save, my, save money. And I got my first apartment here in Fresno. And, and it felt so good to have my own place. 
and bought myself some new furniture and got me a nice little car. And I'm feeling really blessed. And I remember the first week just constantly praying in that house, just crying out yeah. to God and just giving thanking it to him. him. Yeah. Thanking him. Thanking him. Oh, and yeah. I, wow. And I'm still fighting the tears back as I think about yeah. it because I said, finally, I got something bigger than a cell. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And um, walking out that front door every morning and smelling that eucalyptus mm. tree and being able to inhale it kept, keeps me grounded. It's good. I don't have to smell another man again. And I'm like, gosh, thank you, Jesus. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man so, in close quarters. Well, oh, no, I tell you. you. So, so that's one of the things that really keeps me from wanting to ever go back. I just don't like living with men anymore. Right. The neighborhood that I moved in, a lot of my Christian friends who either worked for the formerly worked for the police department or been in that neighborhood, they told me it was a bad neighborhood. I didn't see it in the beginning. The neighbors are really beautiful people. And so one day I uh, came home from work and I saw a guy in my storage area stealing some of my property. And I'm like, I don't believe it. So anyway, I, I, I gave chase. He got away. I searched the block a few times and I found him on somebody's porch rifling through some of my property. And I jumped out of the car. The old me rose up. Yeah. And I, I remember popping that trunk and grabbing the tire iron. And the only thing I kept thinking is, how dare him take from me? Yeah. And so I ran up on him and I told him, I said, man, I need my stuff. And he, and he got scared and, uh, and I made him bring it back to the car and he threw it in the trunk and he took off running. But there were some other guys there and I left and I went home and I put all the stuff on the, on, the, on the floor and I came back around after I changed clothes and walked back around and I told all the guys that were there, I said, hey man, I'm the new kid on the block. I've been where you've been. I'm not going there no more and I'm yeah. not going to let you take from me. I don't have much. Yeah. But what I have, do have, I'm willing to share, man. But I want to, whenever you're ready, I got a place for you to go too, man. Um, so I got a chance to witness. Good. I got a chance to, I took that. I was really upset and angered, but God took that opportunity for me to witness. Good. And so I, in fact, today I still go over to that house. That's good. Yeah. It's a crack house or it's something, a, right? Yeah. It's a Drug meth, house. Meth house. Meth house. Uh, meth house. Yeah. Meth yeah house. It's, it's meth in it's Fresno. Meth. Yeah. Definitely. It's, it's a meth house. And so when they see me, yeah. they come. Uh, when, they, when I walk by, they come to the fence. That's good. And we kick it and we socialize. I haven't gotten them to church yet. Yep. But, yeah, I, yeah. but they let me pray with them. In due time, my friend. They let due me time. pray with them, yeah. That's good. And I know you had another story that, that you met your you met your now wife. Yeah. You're, just got yeah. married recently, and, yeah. and congratulations Thank on you. that. Phenomenal. You. you told us this, you know, we, we had Tyrone and his wife, Arshin, over for dinner. Yeah. And we had got to sit down and break some bread together. Just a, a, a great time. And you told us the story. So just briefly kind of just give us a snapshot of that story that you told us. <laughs> so the day that I met her, that evening, she was attacked by her ex boyfriend he beat her and her mama mm. and and I didn't know about it that day so a few days later I she called me and we talked and she shared some things with me about what that relationship was like a month later she asked me to come to court and pick her up uh, she had to go to get renew a restraining order on him and so I got there and I met some people there and and uh, we went to go put the restraining order and finally I remember her standing up talking on her cell phone right in front of the courthouse and I was waiting for her to make a decision on which building we were going to go to when she dropped the cell phone. And she never looked down. The phone hit the ground and broke. And I looked to see what she was looking at. And there was this guy about 15 feet away with a backpack. And he pulled out a Glock. Nine, and he began to shoot at both of us. She took off running toward the sheriff's department. And I remember the first shot she fell. I turned toward the police department and he chased me. And each time I took a step, I heard a shot. 
I didn't feel oh anything until the third step. I heard somebody, it felt like somebody slapped me on the back of the leg. And I look and there's blood skeeting out my leg. He hit me. And so I'm about maybe 15 to 20 feet away from two cops that are taking a break smoking a cigarette when I ran up on them. And I turned around and he saw the cops and he took off and ran a different direction. Oh. Yeah. So uh, I bet you gave those cops a real good scare running up to him what? like that blood coming out of your wow. leg. They wouldn't. They were like shocked. What? They heard the gunshots. No, they didn't. Oh, they didn't they hear didn't. the gunshots. They were shocked that somebody would do something that crazy in front yeah. of the courthouse. They're, yeah, at the courthouse. At the courthouse. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. So, yeah. Yeah, and so th- this is uh, Arshina's ex, and yeah. there's just uh, some obviously issues there going on there from the past. Mm-hmm. And so now, what's going on with him? He's currently in a county jail. Um, he's been there for about almost two years now, fighting his case. Yeah, um, I believe that his preliminary hearing is coming up real soon. It doesn't look good for him. He, he he did this in front of the court. He knew it was his third or fourth strike, so he called himself acting acting out. I don't. I don't see him ever coming home again. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I, I hope we run across him in, in prison. Yeah. And I hope he comes to church and we can pour into him. I, I yeah. do. I mean, I hope yeah. for that. I know yeah. you do, too. Yeah. We, we don't want the lost and broken soul just locked up. No, and, we don't. And we don't. We want him free yeah. inside yeah. that prison. Yeah. It took me a little while to get over that trauma for a I while. I bet. And a lot of people say, well, you've been in prison. You've done this. You've done this kind of harm and harm to other people. And Why would you be so traumatized behind this? Because this was the first time someone ever tried to take my life. Yeah. That I never saw spoke to oh yeah that's, that's a, a scary. total stranger right yeah and that's, that's scary diff- that's different oh yeah that's a little different you want to talk about something that changes you yeah. you know talk about getting shot yeah. i mean i'm sure that 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 uh that, that feeling was weird uh, oh, i gotta I, tell you uh, it felt like somebody took a hot iron and put it on oh, my leg i've heard that but i gotta tell you how god was in this you see that bullet could have hit me in the back it could have hit me in the spine but yeah. it hit me in a leg and it went right through flesh and no bone i was in the hospital all of two hours they rinsed it my out, cleaned goodness. it out, and told me to go see <laughs> my primary nice care Monday morning. Wow. I spent more time in the hospital <laughs> answering questions to all those police agencies than I did being treated. <laughs> oh, I bet. So, so God was in this. He was God in was this. in it. He's, yeah. And he brought you and Arshina and your stepson. Uh, Stefan. Yeah. Stefan. And just yeah. such an awesome family. And God has just absolutely blessed you. Give us a, uh, uh, we got a couple more minutes. Just give us a, a quick uh, update on what you're doing today. Like, what is you're you're going to school? Talk about what yeah. your what your career path. Wow. is. Wow. So since I've been home, I decided to get in in college to reeducate myself and to become a drug and alcohol counselor. So cool. Yeah, yeah. I also uh, so right now I'm actually in my last semester. Graduation May the 11th. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking so really huge. forward to it. I've been doing a lot of my internship and some work hours over at uh, Westcare, the drug program. So I'm getting a lot of experience there, working with clients there. Also, I've gone through some leadership training classes here in Fresno since I've been here through Campus Bible Church. I'm also on the sound team there as well. I'm doing a lot of things. I, I, I just so yeah, busy. Yeah, you're a busy, busy guy. Busy, 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 you're a busy, busy guy. And I love busy. Yeah. God keeps me busy. As long as it's for glorifying God, I'm right. all right. I'm all right Amen. with it. Yeah. Yeah. He's blessed me. Oh, he's, he is. He's he has blessed you. I've seen he's it in your life. And, yeah. and I know I, I'm certainly grateful that you're in my life and, and we're able to, to connect down here in Fresno. It's, it's been a huge blessing for us for 
for Pastor Chris as well, seeing you. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just cool to see where you've been, what God is doing in your life, and how now he's connecting you into your calling. And that's yeah. something we talk about yeah. in Mercy and Grace. We yeah. teach that. It's like, how is God, how is God equipping you? Mm-hmm. And how is he deploying you into your calling? And I see that this yeah. is going to, this is definitely a call so, in your life. So I'm looking forward to this graduation so I can step into the next level. Yeah. And that's, that's actually good. being involved hands-on in the ministry and working to help change men's lives. I really believe that when when I work with, or God used me to work with men, it helped re- recreate the structure of a household. It really does. Yeah, it's good. Um, I left my children and abandoned them, and they grew up to be adults, and, and, and so without a father. And you're yeah. back in their lives I'm now. Back in their, you're oh, an active participant. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow I drive up to my youngest son's home, and I hang out with my grandchildren overnight. Good. These guys, they don't know the old me, yeah. and that's the blessing of it all. They yeah. only know the new me. <laughs> that's so good wow and it, it really makes me feel great i it, tell you if you could encourage someone who's going through a trial right now what would you say knowing what you've been through what would you say to encourage them in the midst of their trial remember that god is the author and the finisher of your faith seek him wholeheartedly and i guarantee he said in his word he said he said seek you the kingdom of seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all things shall be added unto you if you seek him wholeheartedly, all the other things will come into place. Right. Yeah. Just drop the pain. Drop the curse. All those things. And just follow him. Oh, That's it. So good, man. Yeah. It, 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 for me, in the beginning, it was it was a struggle. Yeah. But when I surrendered and said, let's go. All right, I'm following. Let's go. Let's you go. Show. Then everything else came into play. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So cool, man. So, and right now, I'm so blessed. I, I, I wake up in the last two weeks every morning, and I'm like telling my wife, I am blessed. Yes. I am so happy to have you in my life. I am so glad that God gave me a wife that I prayed for, the exact one I got on my knees and prayed for. Amen, brother. Yeah. He's given me a home. He's given me a finances. He's given me a work. He's given me everything that I... Everything, praise God, and the blessings. But the freedom had to come from within me. Yeah, I asked Him to free me on the inside. All those pains, all those beatings, all those hurtings, all those things that went on as a childhood. I had to come to Him with it, and I said, "God, show me how to get it up out of me." And so I can put it on paper, and I gave it to Him on the fire, and He burnt it, and I said, "It's no longer mine. It's yours." Wow. And He lifted that burden. That's when He freed me back into the community. That is so cool. You know, the most the most profound statement I ever heard from an from an inmate. Yeah, when I walked into it, I said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, you know, I never thought I had to come to prison to be set free. Mm-hmm. And freedom is not a place we're at. It mm-hmm. is a person who's inside of yes. us. Yes. And that is the freedom that yeah. it sounds like you yeah. just have taken a hold of throughout this walk in San Quentin. Yeah. And God has blessed you in the midst yeah. of it. Man, we are just uh, just so honored yeah. to be your friend. Yeah. And we love you. So, so I, I got I to gotta say, San Quentin has utilized you guys to mentor men throughout the years. Amen, and I've brother. seen lives change as a result of Amen. it. Amen. Um, and had not been there, a lot of people would miss out. Amen. All the ter- places that you guys touch, lives change. Lives change. change. Lives change. Right. Yeah. And man, I tell you, we it, it, the gospel changes lives, and that's the reality. We're yeah. bringing in the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. We're bringing in the hope that's in Christ. The hope is not in Chris and the team. Yeah. It's in yeah. the hope is in the Christ that we we point to. And, and it's just such an honor and a blessing to be able to be a part of men's lives behind prison walls and the youth as well, as God is just working in the ministry. And man, you're going to... Our goal, quite frankly, is to get you back in to come in with us because okay. we know yeah. you, you said something that's key about this this fact. You said, I like to see 
people who've been through it mm-hmm. because it gave you hope. Mm-hmm. And man, you've been through it, brother. Yeah, so you, yeah. we know that with the gospel in you yeah. and Jesus uh, at the forefront of your life, that yeah. he, that we're going to pray that he opens up that opportunity. You can come back in and bless I'm looking forward those to men. it. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I really am. Well, man, it's it's been really such a great time spending with you yeah. and talking to you. And, and, and for all of you listening, we just thank you for your support for the Mercy and Grace podcast. We'll have many more stories to come, many more opportunities to, to interview uh, different people that have these experiences. And just be blessed by this. And, and please subscribe to, in your favorite podcast platform, subscribe to Mercy and Grace. We got many more great interviews coming and teachings right. and, right. and the like. So yeah. thank you guys for joining us today. We appreciate you and be blessed. Mm-hmm.